All right, here we go. I thought we could do a special podcast today. Kind of last minute, off the cuff. What makes it special, big fella? Is because we have the most talented and intelligent cybersecurity recruiter I've ever met here with us today. Olive, Rob. My goodness, where did you find such a person? She's fortunate enough to work with us every day, (laughs) and we're fortunate enough to work with her. Damn straight. She makes my day more fun, that's for sure. I'm Coral Red. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were Olive. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I couldn't even muster a fake laugh for that one, but it was good. It was good, Jack. It's actually the the heat lamp causing that glow. Okay. So you're, you're actually okay. Okay. So, Olive, you have been here almost a year, over a year? A year, June 1st. Awesome. And you have helped us double the size of our staff. I mean, just 53 employees <laughs> and two months of training. So, like, in the last 10 months, but, you know, yeah. not bragging here. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. The short of it is, like, you've seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. So, let me ask you this. So before we're hand, we're kind of talking about the kind of changing economy, changing cyber landscape. Everybody that, you know, was kind of being like fond after looking for opportunities is now in the situation where the hiring starting to dry up and people have found them wanting a little bit more, needing work. I was curious, like, is, are you starting to see that, that trend start to occur? Um, and just to clarify, you mean the fact that You know, maybe like a year ago, people were demanding super high salaries because they used to be sought out for. And now as people are getting laid off or, you know, economy landscape is changing all of that, they're kind of starting to settle for less. And now they're more active candidates than passive. Yeah, I'd say that's true. I wouldn't say settle for less. They're um, having to be a little bit more humble. Realistic. Right. Yeah, exactly. So when I first started, I was really amazed. So for example, as you've probably talked about on the show with Splunk engineers, I would talk to people that had two years of experience and they're like, sorry, I won't talk for any less than $175,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit, why am I a recruiter? <laughs> I'm about to be getting my Splunk certs. Um, because but, by the way, you're not getting laid off right now, but keep going. Yes, that's very true. And I enjoy my job. And yeah, that's a whole thing. <laughs> but, um, and now I find a lot of people that were very high level in a Splunk, uh, a lot of folks that work in DC area. So federal contracts, things like yeah. that. And these were people who were seasoned contract hires. So would only do contracts were never interested in full time. I mean, some people who I talked to six months ago and they said, eh, sorry, I really only do contract. And I would say we've had 10 people apply that I talked to six months ago that are now looking for full time employment. Right. Nowadays, maybe over the last couple of months, how often have you come across a situation where you talk to someone maybe nine, 10 months ago and fast forward till now, like you see that same person again, either like back out of the street looking for work or like all of a sudden, like their story and situation has changed. Nine months is a while. It's usually after two to three. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Oh yeah. I've had a couple or they have their first six weeks of work if they, you know, didn't take an offer with us and say, I kind of hate it here. <laughs> Are you guys still hiring? Yeah. Oh, hang on. Let's run with that for a second. Yeah. Okay. So you talk to someone, they choose to go a different direction. And what is a common kind of reason or example why they would choose to go a different direction? Either just they're a huge company, so they think they're going to have more advancement opportunities there, which often is the opposite, or money. Yeah. So they choose to go a different path, and then like they become disillusioned, and then 
why are you seeing that's the case? I mean, it's a multiple of reasons, but a lot of people, you know, I say, hey, when we put our laptops down, we put our laptops down. You're not expected to have Teams or email or what have you on your personal devices. So when work stops, work stops. And I have people that say, yeah, I was told that. And then my manager has my phone number and they're calling me at midnight because mm -hmm. they need to fix something. So it's not the true work-life balance they were promised. Sure, they were offered a really high salary, but they have crazy working hours or they have miserable clients or, you know, what have you. Usually the more money you're offered, the harder your work is. It's an interesting thing to me is um, words and actions, hmm. you know, don't always match up. Yeah. You know, yeah. people can say whatever they want, but unless your actions match your words, it's hollow promises. Yeah. Like if an if a office is like, yeah, we have free ping pong and it's like, but people don't play ping pong. They're crying under the ping pong table. Like that's what that's there for. <laughs> it's not for them to actually play ping pong. They don't have time to do that. Right. They're having a nervous breakdown under it. Yeah. Hmm. So I'll, let me roll you back to the sort of the beginning, because one of the things I think you've been uniquely successful at is bringing really smart people, you know, over the threshold to see us. Uh, and I think part of that is that you found ways to recognize people who understand the mission, right, who have the grounding and the skills that we need and who also are open, right, to doing the kind of work that we do. How are these people like identifying themselves to you? Like, what is it about it when you talk to them or you look at their paperwork or what have you that makes them stand out? Because I can tell you as somebody who benefits from the experience that you have, you've got a really high hit rate for people who understand the space are basically good people and are fit as culturally. So how do they stand out to you? Like what makes you identify people as good candidates? So, I mean, a lot of my job is also sourcing. So I'm what's called a full cycle re recruiter. So I do sourcing, all of that fun stuff. But if somebody just does a cold apply, I mean, you know, of course there's technical skills, but right off the bat, really red flag is if they list every tool that they've ever just looked at once or took a class in college in or what have you. So um, if they are listing 30 tools that they're familiar with, that's immediately a red flag because then I say, hey, what what tools do you like? And they'll list five. And I'm like, oh, what about this one? They're like, oh, I played around with that once. It's like, okay, well, don't list it on your mm -hmm. call. You know, mm -hmm. if you can't do that skill when you get into your first day of work, then, you know, that's not relevant to the job. And I think just being self-aware and humble is something that will land you very far in cybersecurity. People are often extremely overconfident. So I think that either in that first interview or on their resume, again, just listing what they actually know how to do and their actual job responsibilities. We, as far as I know, don't offer medical services or law services. So having a CV doesn't really help me, but having a two-page resume is a lot more consistent of what that person's actually bringing to the table. Olive, in the, in the course of talking with folks, I'm asking this honestly, how important is culture in the destination company that someone might go work for? Like, is, are these conversations that you have with folks? Oh, like how the culture is here? Yeah, here as an example, I, I mean, I think ours is pretty good. I mean, the fact we're both enjoying beer Santa. Yeah, I mean, the fact that I just was doing an interview and somebody said, how's the atmosphere? And I said, it's extremely casual. And then Jackie said, what kind of beer do you want? And the guy literally thought that I had a button under my desk because he was like, that seemed too perfect. Uh, he's like, that seemed planned. So we, we were also trying to get you off the call. 
it's fine. I was just looking for a sock manager, but that, yeah, that can wait. Um, this is more important. Um, so culture. Yeah. So I think at the very end of the day, if somebody even just asks about culture, that's already a thumbs up for me. I'm like, okay, they're concerned about it. So they want to contribute to a positive culture. If somebody just asked me about the tech stack and the money, then I'm like, okay, they don't even care where they're working. Um, to those people who are just looking for their stepping stone, it's not important to them. But I found that we've never had somebody turn down an offer because they were nervous about the culture here. So I think that's one of our strong suits. I think question for probably both of you is, I know Jack's seen it a little bit, but how often in the course of the folks that you chat with, do you see a situation where they are, uh, I don't want to use a term, but I can't think of a better one right now, but they're kind of job hopping, right? Mm. Kind of like year over year, maybe it's something different or every other year, maybe they advance, maybe they don't, but there's a pattern of chasing Mm. something. And maybe it could be like evading something, right? Every time your job starts to get hard or it gets to be more responsibility because you become more senior, it gets hard and you quit. Like, and I've, I've certainly seen that. Like the moment stuff gets hard, like I'm out. Yeah. In the course of talking to folks and you kind of see like this seniority track and maybe has a kind of a hopping pattern, like a frog across their resume. How often do you see that the outcoming attribute of that is someone who hasn't been in a position long enough to earn or achieve certain soft skills that would make them more successful in the long run? Yeah. I mean, overall job hopping to me can be a red flag, especially if it's six months, six months. And then they're like, well, I was at this place for two years. And it's like, okay, but then it was six months, six months. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a pattern of, again, chasing more money, chasing, you know, the next title. So you often have people that, you know, maybe they're chasing the next title. So then they actually haven't been able to build on their tech because then they're immediately thrown into a managerial position, but then they go back to tech. So sorry, can you clarify too? Yeah. So I guess kind of what I'm ultimately getting at is I've had this idea and philosophy of crossing the chasm when it comes to developing people. Right. And the idea is people either have short cycles or they have long cycles. Mm. And the idea of a short cycle is um, it's high turn, it's short duration. And it's the type of thing where in the course of a career or a job, however you want to classify it, is if someone has short cycles, they're moving on to the next thing really quickly. And the result of it is they miss out on everything in business that has a long tail, Mm. long, hard problems that need to be solved. Right. But you're not there long enough to see it to a close. And there's an inherent skill and there's an inherent um, kind of soft skill that comes with staying to the end and seeing something to the conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. And that builds character as a person. And when I look at people who can solve hard business challenges, and these aren't like, these aren't tasks that can be solved in a month. They're not like this new initiative you roll out three months and you're done. Right. It could be, you know, implementing a new business program or implementing a new capability. This is this multi-year thing. Yeah. The number of people who have a demonstrated track record of doing that, especially in our field, is super small because they've never been in a position long enough to have the experience of seeing something through to the end. So there is someone with a short cycle. Someone with a long cycle is someone who's been at an organization for however many number of years, has a track record of growing within the organization, and with it, at least what I've seen, my 
20 plus years experience is those individuals have also had the opportunity to build programs, mm. to mm-hmm. build organizational capability and see it through to the end in a way that no one else can. Yeah. And so what I've observed, and you tell me if, if I'm crazy, is people with short cycles in those cases are good for a specific type of role, mm. but they're not good for all types of roles in the sense where they're lacking on some of the core organizational skills that someone would need in order to build a business. Right. And rather what ends up happening is in the course of those short cycles, you end up with a senior level pay, but a junior level skill set, which has a very short cliff on it. Like there's only so far you can go with it. It's the ones that are built for the long haul, the ones that have the long cycles that ultimately end up maximizing earnings potentials and have a longer career stability than than people with short cycles. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things to that. So the first one is if you have those people that are hopping around from different companies to reach those next levels, it's exactly what you said. They haven't really seen anything through. I mean, again, this is just a theory of mine. I think they're going to hit their salary cap a lot sooner than the people that have been at all the companies they've been at for two, three, four years. And then, you know, or even longer because they're going to grow in an organization. I mean, you know, just to give an example, say, you know, you're a SOC analyst and you hop around every six months. So sure, in two years, you're a senior SOC analyst and you're making, you know, 120000 That's great. Say you are a SOC analyst that grows in an organization and then, you know, you're a team lead and then, you know, you're a manager and you've only been there for four years, but then you eventually get a job to be director of security operations center or, you know, something like that. Um, And then you can make 200,000. So does that make sense? You know, so, and then also that senior that only has the two years of experience, they might go to their next company and it might be a smaller organization or something where it's more hands-on. They're not at a big four where you can kind of just dick around and Mm -hmm. get a paycheck. And they say, wait, you don't know anything. Like you don't know what this is or you don't know how to investigate this event or you don't know, you know, how to triage or whatever. Yeah. Jack, you've hired hundreds of people. Yep. Like hundreds of people in your time. Do you think you think there's any truth to that? I think there is. I, I just want to reset it a little bit, just put a, a slightly different yeah. lens on exactly that same question. Number one, I think we mainly see this style of behavior in less experienced candidates. And I think that partially what's happening is that they're consuming a media diet which encourages them to believe that nine to 18 months is the right length of time to spend because you can jump and get more money because they're not as thoughtful as you just were in describing, or both of you were in describing the benefits of hanging out for a little while. So that truth, but there's another piece of this, right? And it's the corporate piece. It's the company's piece. I think that a lot of companies do a really horrible job of not pigeonholing people when they come into jobs, of being very thoughtful, about the career progression of what happens to people after they join the company so they can actually see down the road to what the benefit is of staying with the company for a while. When you and I first met, long before I ever thought about joining New Harbor, one of the things that we sort of bonded over was the career progression you had in place for people so that they could come in straight out of college knowing Jack and by the time they get through it, being trained and upskilled and certified and working with the team and leaving the party after however many years at a very different place. But when they started, one of the reasons I think they came here and they stayed was that. And I think it also relates a lot to the kinds of jobs. You know, the example you use 
about what you learn in the long tail of something. If I think about all the hiring we do in development, right, in software development, if you've worked on software development for a year at a time in a bunch of different companies, you know, I'm going to try to find out why that is. I'm not immediately going to punt you out because it could have been horrible companies, right, who brought you in. They said, hey, you're going to be a developer. And you ended up basically following the elephant around with a broom fixing bugs, Right. And it's like, this is terrible and I hate this job. And I could see how that could happen really easily, especially if the money was right. But what they have to understand is that developing a software product, if you talk to the Baron in our own shop, he's going to tell you, I own this thing, right? From the idea, which is a reflection of the customer's requirements to building it in a way that it can be managed and support the company's and the, and the customer's needs to supporting when bad things happen and doing the next riff to make it even better the next time through. Until you've been through that cycle a couple of times, you don't understand the impact of crap programming practices. You don't understand the importance of doing a great job of basically scrubbing through the set of stories of being agile in terms of the way you develop things. And so there's a real set of skills associated with the long-term care and feeding of software development and of security development over the course of time. But I don't think, and this is, you know, again, Olive's always brought really excellent candidates to the table. So it's not been a big deal for us, but I, I also don't bounce people out of the box if I watch somebody with two or three years of experience who's had two or three years of jobs, because frankly, management in most companies is pretty damn atrocious, right? They're trying to suck as much blood out as is possible from a lot of these younger employees and then stick them back out, you know, in, on the street, basically. And so it isn't necessarily a disqualifying factor for me. It, asks, it, it forces me to ask more questions and it reminds me to help them understand that a career is a career, right? It's not a series of jobs. You're not, you know, bouncing from restaurant to restaurant, you know, doing sort of the same job in multiple restaurants. You're learning how to be better and to offer more value and learning skills like mentoring and guiding and offering feedback to corollary organizations outside of engineering or outside of operations. So there's a lot to it. But I think that we as the company, we own a lot of responsibility for whether or not these people understand why they would stay. So just because shit companies have caused them to bounce a lot in the past not necessarily a character indictment for me, but it does force me to ask a lot of these questions and definitely to paint this picture accurately about a more authentic culture. Yeah. yeah, And that's definitely the other side of this. I think it was fair saying we've totally talked about candidates. Companies are kind of equal part in all this. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of see what, so what Jack mentioned? I do. And I feel very odd maybe countering it as somebody that, again, is like my first year in cybersecurity and recruiting. But and again, Jack, this is where you can correct me if I'm wrong. So one thing that I think about, though, is software development. At the end of the day, there's so many scripting languages and there's so many programming languages out there. But you're still programming to create a product or, and again, there's still so many different facets of it. But I, I just think cybersecurity is so much broader and that, I mean, if you work for a huge company where you are a SOC analyst, but your only responsibility was maybe phishing, you know, analysis or something like that. Whereas if you come from somewhere like here where you're responsible for, you know, multiple facets of, you know, investigating events, then that's different, you know, because somebody could hop around from those different jobs and might still learn one topic or might just learn a little bit of a, a bunch of different topics, but they're still not getting the comprehensive knowledge that a SOC analyst would hear. Yeah, but think about it, right? So let's think about that. Let's use that exact scenario, right? So people hop into a SOC, right? They come out of school, they come in as a tier one analyst capable of answering questions, filtering through some of the noise, making sure that the tier two analysts don't get buried in junk or that the client doesn't get buried in junk. Right. So let's think what that feels like, right? For every tier two analyst, there's four to 10 tier one analysts. Are all 10 of those going to get promoted? 
right? So after a year of being a tier one analyst, you become really good at recognizing what's real and what's not. You may not be great at investigating. You may not be great yet at figuring out how to do the forensic exam, but you know a fair amount. Well, only four of you are ever going to make it to tier two. So six of those people are going to bounce, right? And they're going to bounce someplace else. And maybe they bounce to be a tier two someplace else. Well, what's going to happen again when they're tier twos after a year of doing great work, the tier threes are going to be waiting. And it's going to be similarly a narrowing function, right? And so 20 or 30% maybe of the tier twos get to be tier threes. So you've got 70 or 80% of them on the street after a year, right? So for me, it's really about understanding were they bouncing for pay or were they bouncing to actually take advantage of what they had learned and continue to grow? Because what I don't want, and this is the flip side of the coin that Justin describes, I don't want the person that started doing a job and they're like, wow, I really know how to do this job well and I can fall asleep a lot, right? I can actually do a little bit of my job. <laughs> I can leave work early and all the rest of the people are noobs. So man, I can get this job done in about 25 minutes a day and the rest of the day, what the hell? I'm surfing, right? So you know, I don't want those people either. And so it really comes down and you help with this quite a bit, all of you really do, is bringing in candidates so we can have that conversation and understand more about the context. And I don't want the listeners to think that what we're saying is, hey, listen, if you bounced because you were not being fully utilized and you've done that a couple of times because, damn it, I want to grow my career fast because, frankly, that's what the hell I did, right? I mean, I worked my ass off so that I would be able to take the next job. Now, I stayed with the same company for a number of years, but I didn't stay in the same job very long, right? Work your ass off, learn as much as you can, and demand. Take classes and demand that you're doing something new. And so for me, especially in that SOC environment, but also in software engineering, you know, you want to find out why they made the move. And for the people who are listening, who are looking for new jobs, who are looking to grow their careers, make sure that you make a point of describing, hey, listen, you're going to see I jumped. I jumped after nine months here, after 11 months there. Here's the reason why. I did the following set of things. I got the following certification. I took the following course. I did the following things. I was doing great and they did not have a place for me. God bless them. I love them, but I had to go. And I went someplace else. And you'll notice in the next job, my job responsibilities changed. And I did this stuff and this stuff and this stuff. And then the same thing happened again. I got no heartache with that because in a company like ours, and I'm sure many other good companies, we got a place for them to go. They're not going to hit that point and say, oh, I got to go someplace else. No, we're going to say, there's a lot of other crap you can learn, a lot of other stuff you can do. Let us help you be the best version of you in the direction that your career is something you want to take because you're a valuable resource. And that's sort of the way you have to handle them and look for companies that handle them that way as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be also totally fair at the end of the day, if somebody with that resume applies and they've been contract for the last five years, I'm still going to interview them because you might have those people that say, I've been a contractor for the last five years. I want to find my forever home. Right on. Those are the people that are going to stick with you. So, you know, even though, again, it might not be the best thing to see on a resume, I'm still talking to that person because they might have said, you know what, I've learned. They also have something that we don't where they've seen all the things that can go wrong and they can tell you, this is why I left this company. This is why I left this company. Eh, this was pretty good there. My contract ended. Jack, can we come back to what you were just talking about? For a second, you are one of the most talented people I have ever met in my career about managing and kind of grooming staff, right? Into helping them realize their full potential. For anybody listening to this who might be in that same example that you just talked about, right? Of saying, hey, you were a tier one, you know, you were hoping to be a tier two or like whatever example, you were like a level one, hoping to be a level two, someone else got promoted over you. In your experience, 
you know, and kind of helping people through this type of thing. And maybe it's like more senior level. Maybe it's like a senior manager going to director or whatever, whatever case may be. First part of it is like, how have you coached people? Like, what is it? Some of the things you're looking for, but more importantly, I think what I'm trying to get at is saying, if there's someone who's in that same situation, what advice would you have for them so that they can force the correct conversation with their manager at their company? I love this question, right? Because it, that the answer is one that I think is kind of obvious and super hard and almost nobody does it naturally, which is perfect transparency, right? So part of this is the responsibility of the company to facilitate and make it safe for people to be perfectly transparent. But ultimately, it's your damn career. So it is in your best interest to be perfectly transparent. So in the example that you use, let's say it's uh, the manager on a panel of managers. There's a half a dozen managers underneath a good director. And, you know, she's not going anywhere, right? So what's this person going to do? Be perfectly transparent. Say, listen, I think I've done a good job. My performance ratings show that I'm pretty good. My team has a very low attrition rate and we tend to deliver on time. I think I'm ready for the next challenge, but I don't know how I get that here. Can you help me understand how I get that here? The mistake that people make, and again, this is a really broad statement, but the mistake that people make is when they start feeling constricted inside their job role, the first thing they think about, because conflict is hard and uncomfortable and awkward, they start looking outside, right? And then they want to take the output of that, which is XYZ Corp just told me I can be a director there, but here I'm only a manager. And so I need you to do something about that. And at that point in time, it's too late. It's too late, not just because people like me feel uncomfortable that that's the path that people took, right? I would rather they came to me and said, Jack, I got to do more. This is not enough for me, right? Because then over the course of time, I talk to Justin and we say, hey, listen, this person has real potential with the following set of skills. They can advance to that next level. They think they're sort of there. Let me help them understand the path to get to where they want to be and we'll find the right role for them. Or because it's an honest culture and honest environment, I'm going to tell them, dude, I totally get it. I get nothing for you right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be your first reference. You tell them they call me first and I'm happy to do it because the very best thing for us as leaders is if we cannot accommodate somebody's potential going forward, and this is part of our culture, if we cannot accommodate their growth going forward because it's just not right for our company, then we can help them get what's right for them. Because the number one value that you've proselytized that I'm adopting having come here is that the employee comes first to protect the house, right? And so that's part of it. So my advice to a person who finds themselves in that state, number one, be perfectly transparent because that's going to tell you a lot about the company you're working for. Number two, if you get a positive reception, even if it's kind of creaky because they haven't done it before, give the company a little bit of time. If you've enjoyed it, if they've gotten to that point where you feel you've grown inside that company, trust them that they'll probably try to do the right thing. And the third thing is if they can't, be perfectly open with them. Let them know what's going on. And I'll tell you, the people who are looking to hire you next, in the case that we're just talking about with all of the Justin's asking the questions around, they're going to feel super comfortable that even though you've only been there for a couple of years, you're giving them the opportunity to talk to your existing employer about why you got to go. And I think it's great for everybody. So for me, it's, it's, it's all about that transparency, Justin, right? That we as a company respect people's careers and their growth and their own lives and their families. And those people should respect themselves enough to be upfront about it before they decide that the only way to get what they want is to jump. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. We definitely do that here. Yeah. I'm not sure I can improve on that. That was pretty solid. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say like, I don't know how I get a promotion here. And I was like, that that's on you, dude. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I have, to, I have to ask the boss. Yeah. like. <laughs> I, I think we wrap on that one. That's a pretty positive high note, giving people something tangible to 
to come back with. And it's, um, it's kind of be a consumer of your own career, right? And if you don't like it, take some ownership and try to improve upon it. And if they react badly, pwned at newharborsecurity.com. <laughs> All right. I like it. Let's, let's go with that one. So that was the outro from Jack. Need cybersecurity help? Looking for a phenomenal cybersecurity job? We're just looking to chat up Olive a little bit, which is also a ton of fun. You know how to find us, and we'll catch you on the next one. Whoop, whoop.